Welcome into episode number 101. Yeah, we're in a new century of Inside the Nest episodes. But one thing stays the same, and that is a Kennesaw State blowout victory at the end. Yeah, it was tight to start out, but the Owls prevailed 30-7 to at Campbell. We're going to break it down here on Inside the Nest. Nolan Alexander, Barkley Miller, Brandon Sutton, Jordan Griffith with you. And then we will preview the matchup against Gardner-Webb this Saturday, Hall of Fame weekend, honoring, uh, got to get big props to the 1996 softball and baseball Division II national champs. They will be honored the night before Friday night and then be inducted at halftime of Saturday's game. So, guys, let's start it out breaking down this 30-7 to win for Kennesaw State at Campbell. Uh, we knew going in, Campbell was a talented team. The pieces were certainly there. It was a tie ball game at halftime, which you found out was just the sixth time in KSU history. A game was tied at halftime, but the Owls won their fifth consecutive game, breaking a tie, prevailing 30-7. to And similar to what we've seen recently from Kennesaw State, one thing that's consistent is the Owls make their halftime adjustments and they're able to produce a little bit more on offense, and that defense gets even tighter in shutdown mode. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. The, the Kennesaw State this year has been a second-half team, which, in my opinion, is the way to be. Starting hot is always a good thing, but whenever you finish, that's how you win games. You close them out, and this Kennesaw State defense, every time they go in and make those adjustments, it's so impressive to me how – the offense may struggle to move the ball, but they do move it a little bit in the first half. But, man, in the second half, it's almost like they can't get anything going. Saw the same song and dance Saturday at Campbell. But, man, I'm just so impressed with how the secondary continues to grow and play. Coach Safford has done a great job with those kids. It's not, a, it's not the same secondary we saw at the beginning of the season. Those were kids who were young, struggling to find their roles and see – what where they need to fit in in zones and whatnot, and they are just almost picture perfect so far this season. And I'll tell you what else, they're playing so much harder, and I think that's the biggest difference. And Barkley hit on a lot right there, and just I, I agree with a lot of stuff he said. Uh, watching Saturday's game, I saw the house come out, and just like he he was hitting on, they things were the machine looked like they had some had some clinks in it, had some cogs, not rolling together and things just weren't able to hit on the exact level that we like to see it hit um, from an offensive perspective. But defensively, uh, throughout that entire ballgame, they were lights out. They came and they were ready to play. But coming out of halftime, I saw a lot of good things from both sides of the ball, uh, offense and defense. Um, the offense was able to finally figure things out and get things rolling and get points on the board. And then the defense just was able to continue to help them out and just keep getting stops and just giving the ball back to the offense line and be more and more productive. Yeah, I think the thing that I walked away with in this game the most was their ability to maintain momentum. And that was something that we didn't really see at the beginning of the season. And I mean, guys, even going back to the spring, uh, that was kind of an issue with this football team. But again, a new team, a new year, and they certainly look like a new team. Uh, again, their ability to just get the momentum after that blocked field goal, taking it back, game was over at that point, and they never let it back. They had that death march with five and a half minutes left. Finally scored another touchdown in the last second. But once again, their ability to grab the momentum and never give it back. And that's something, especially in college football in a game of runs, that's incredibly important. How about the fact that Kennesaw State outpassed Campbell? 112 passing yards for Shep in the Owls compared to 104 
for Wiley Hartley and the Camels. Uh, it's kind of typical for KSU, held an opponent under 100 yards rushing. They had just 85 yards. But uh, bringing in Caleb Sneed, who was top three in the nation for receiving yards and touchdown receptions, kept him quiet and 104 passing yards. And a decent chunk of that came on the last couple of drives, you know, when Cam was trying to put together some of those garbage stats towards the end. That, that pass defense has grown leaps and bounds, as you've said, Barkley, but I thought what they were able to do Saturday relative to the opponent may have been one of the most impressive feats that we've seen this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, and it's awesome just to say that this spread option offense, it, you can throw in that that extra option. It's a quadruple option because you can pass the ball, man. I mean, out passing a team like Campbell, like you said, who had a receiver coming into the year that was leading the FCS in – receiving yards and and look not take anything away from the kid the kid's good we saw him make multiple catches Saturday that were very impressive and their offense is built to throw the ball and the fact that we went in there and out passed them and the way that the defense performed is just it's awesome it's a lot of good things to hang your hat on uh this offense just keeps improving week to week they still need to get that turnover thing fixed had one this week I'm looking for another no-turnover game, especially against Gardner-Webb. Um, and I know that just grows. Brandon knows the more the offense gels, it just becomes easier, especially with the pitch relations. This time, though, it's almost like another one like at Wofford. I don't want to put it on Shepard because it wasn't really his fault. He got lit up, man. And then to just point out JG's thing, too, it was done after that field goal was blocked in return for the touchdown. There – sellout crowd was just leaving the stadium in droves after that happened. It's like Dodger fans leaving early to beat traffic. Exactly. I mean, you, you have to, right? There's so much traffic Especially. in the Creek. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon, how about this from an offensive perspective? Campbell was just limited to three red zone trips. They came away with zero points, 0 of 3 in red zone offense. We know what that can do to a defense's momentum, but – what does that do on the offensive side to be able to put together some drives and then end up with zip, zilch, and nada and three trips? Zilp, zilch, and zilch, and nada, that's going to end up with your guys just, one, you're going to start looking around, and you don't want to see that on the sideline because once guys start looking around, uh, well, first off, their mind's not on the game. And then after that, they're going to start looking towards the coaches, like, hey, what's going on? We're, we're, we're down here. We should be getting points on the board. Is it us? Is it the play calling? And then once once that starts going on, then we just leave the finger pointing. And by that point, the day is gone. Everything's done. You have to, it's going to take you so much time just to be able to come back together and get things back right between those guys and between them and the coaches. Because just having that happen, it just it, it just crushes the spirit of the offense. Because like you practice, that's one of your main practice points through the red zone period. That's what you want to practice, being down there, getting the ball in the end zone. Just not being able to do that, it really puts an impact on your mentality as from an offense. And Jordan, for those that didn't listen to our post game wrap up, I thought you made a very good point with who you picked for the offensive player of the game. Can you state that again and why so? Yeah, I went with Nikeem Farrell, and uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, if you want to talk about the rushing attack, Adelike had a great game as well as as well as obviously Shepard, uh, especially through the air. It was one of the best games that we've had on the edges uh, with the A-backs going, going to both sides, as well as the receiving threat that he was, a 52-yard touchdown from Shep, just blazing down the sideline. No one had, even had a shot of catching him on that one. 
And then also the punt returns. And you go back and look at it, and I'm not sure if he even had a punt return in, in terms of positive yardage or if he had very many of them. But it was the boot from the punter from Campbell. He had to go back maybe five, maybe even ten yards to go receive that one. Went straight to the ground. But a lesser returner would have fumbled that. A lesser returner would have let it go, maybe hit off of a Kennesaw State gunner. And next thing, like, next thing you know, that's a ball in opponent territory. That changes the game completely. And Nikeem Farrell changed the game without, without any attention to himself. Yeah, Kennesaw State had negative three return yards. But I think as you just said, Jordan, yeah. uh, it's, that, it's that battle of field position that paid off for Kennesaw State with what he was able to do on special teams. The other big special teams play that you guys have already talked about was the blocked field goal that got returned back to the house. We'll hear from defensive lineman Desmond Scott later here on Inside the Nest. But guys, that was Scott's second field goal block of the season. Uh, going back to that play, watching it from where we were, Jordan and, and Barkley, and then Brandon, your thoughts from watching the broadcast. What impressed you the most with the way that play evolved? Man. Desmond Scott's get off on that play just showed how bad he wanted to get back there and block that field goal. And Brandon knows as an offensive lineman, especially whenever you're in the field goal unit, a defensive lineman on, on, with his size and stature getting off the ball with that kind of determination, man, it's hard to stop him. It's like stopping a train standing still. It, it, and he did. He, he got through there, just tumbled over the long snapper, messed him up and then got back and got a big old paw on it to block it and then eventually have it taken back for six. And he changed the momentum of the game. He, he definitely set the tone for the rest of the game after that block field goal. Noah, me and you, we looked at each other. As soon as he got off, it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he, it was like he was shot out of a cannon. It was really impressive. Yeah, I would say sitting next to you guys, um, a point that you made, Nolan, was Ja'Cory Burke's getaway speed. And, I mean, he got the ball – uh, a few yards away from everybody, and then he was a lot of yards away from everybody. So that that's certainly what stood out to me. But also, when this happened, so it was, I believe it was a 17-7 to game. They kicked the field goal. All of a sudden, it's a one-possession game, a very close one, even though it never felt that way. They get the block, turn the game on its head. I mean, it, it, again, it was over after that, and they make that field goal. Again, it, I don't know if it's going to really change the outcome at all, but it, it's going to at least look a lot closer than the game really felt. First things first, I will say the broadcast didn't do that play justice. Because after the, after the initial playing of it, they only showed the replay once, which broke my heart. And then after that, the entire focus of the replay was on the return. I was like, go back to the line. I want to see the actual block, man. Like, what was going on? From seeing it on the broadcast, I was just like, oh, my gosh, what a play. I could only imagine how things felt in the stadium because just I, just I could see the energy, just everything, all the momentum going to Kennesaw State in that one moment. It was just such – it was a really cool thing to see. Brandon and Barkley, I know in practice it's probably obvious that a team has an ability to be coached in practice trying to block a field goal. But what happens – what's the coaching point once that thing is blocked – what, what are players supposed to do that resulted in the touchdown? Do you have an opportunity to practice that much? What does that look like? Find somebody and block them. That is the biggest thing that they hit on. Yeah, we do practice it. It's just like a, a interception on defense, you know, the Oski. You, you do. You sit there and you've got to find anybody and block them. Just put a hat on them, especially the kicker and the holder, because they're, the near, they're going to be the nearest people to the ball. The whole field goal team is going to be facing the – 
uprights, the only two that really know it's blocked until they hear the just thump is the kicker and the punter. So you want to make sure you get hats on those guys and don't let them and just hold on for dear life until your guy can break off into loose. And then also don't do anything stupid. Don't block anybody in the back and no just egregious holding penalties because that's two things that will ruin a, a big play like that. And, and he just hit on it. Whenever you're from an uh, offensive line on a PAT block, whenever you hear that thud, if you know it's blocked, your job is to either, one, find the ball, two, find a defensive lineman and hit him and uh, cause a penalty. You just want to stop the play, no touchdown. That's your only job. Jordan, going back to your days as the torpedo, have you ever seen a blocked kick return for a touchdown in a, in a game that you've been present at? Oh, man. I, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And, you know, it's it's something you don't see a whole lot of. And it's it's so fun to watch because – and really also, I mean, same with uh, kick sixes, guys returning uh, short kicks to, to come back and, and score a touchdown because you just try and see all these slow offensive linemen try and get out and try and tackle somebody, and they just can't. They're just not meant to do it. They're meant to block, and that's why that's why they put Sut out there. Hey, I, I know in uh... – Barkley's other collegiate fandom with Alabama. I don't know if he's ever seen a kick six or anything like that. Might be unfamiliar with it. Hmm. I need to YouTube that Barkley. Yeah. Just once or twice. God, man, that that's still every time Alabama lines up for a long field goal. And, you know, they used to not put returners back on field goal blocks because they wanted everybody, you know, trying to block the kick. That changed college football. Actually, it changed football in, in totality. You see it in the NFL too. They, now they always put a returner back there if it's a long field goal. And I don't know if you've noticed, the field goal teams, Brandon knows, they used to never work on, like, fanning out after the kick. Everybody would just kind of stand there and watch it. Now it's like a point of emphasis, like fan out after the kick. You might have to make the tackle. You know, this could literally change the landscape of the season. And it has. It's changed that much. It's kind of crazy. I was going to say, yeah, just literally on a field goal, like on whenever you're practicing for a field goal, PAT, that's like the – Day two lesson. First day, you learn your setup, where you where to stand. Day two, all right, ball's kicked, fan out, and you find you get your number assignment, find your guy, and be ready. If something happens, get your guy. Well, let's go ahead and flip the script now for a 1 p.m. kickoff this Saturday against Gardner Webb. Kennesaw State sits six and one on the year, three and zero overall in the Big South. Six and one overall, three and zero in the Big South, taking on Gardner Webb with a 1 p.m. kick. Kennesaw State is slowly continued, you know, this progression defensively, and the offense has had its times executed, and we've profiled the turnovers that have hurt KSU a little bit. Let's look at Gardner-Webb. This is a program led by a second-year head coach, Trey Lamb, one of the youngest head coaches in the nation, uh, came in with a pass-happy spread, up-tempo attack. They have stars defensively in certain spots. Ty French, defensive lineman, just earned his second FCS national honor in as many seasons offensively uh, they've got Gaither back there who leads the big South at all purpose yards per game. So when you think of Gardner Webb right now, you may not think of the most complete team, but I think there's certainly pieces on both sides of the football that if they get hot can cause a lot of trouble to the opponents. Yeah. I mean, Jordan said it best while we were in the booth Saturday, this Gardner Webb team is dangerous whenever they get hot. You look and sometimes they score, they trouble to score points and then other times you look at games where they're matched up with, I guess, someone they feel more favorable against, they'll hang 28-plus. They, they can definitely score. The defense is big and physical. If Kennesaw comes into this game 
sleeping, coming off of a you know big blowout win at Campbell and just riding high on all these big south wins, then they could easily be upset. We've seen it happen many a time. The first season me and Brandon got to play in 2015 – uh, we remember we got to play. We upset Monmouth and Gardner Webb, not because they were better teams, because they came into Kennesaw sleeping. You know, I mean, and that's that's how it happens. It can easily happen. This is FCS college football, and I'll tell you what else: if you look across the FCS and rankings and who wins and loses every week, it's a lot more evenly matched than it was even three or four years ago. So, it's going to be a good one. I'm glad to be back in the bank. We don't have to go anywhere crazy like Buis Creek. It, it's going to be fun, and Kennesaw better not sleep on these running Bulldogs. Yeah, definitely going into this week, they're going to have to focus on keeping everybody's heads up, and they can't look at, like, well, most first things first, we can't look back on the record against this team because that's what the other – that's what Gardner-Webb is going to be using to propel their players. It's just because we've dominated this game in the past doesn't mean they can't have the last say on Saturday. So they're going to come out with the mentality to try to do everything they can to get this win because this is going to be an important win to a lot of those guys that have been here throughout the last few years. So going into Saturday, these guys are going to have to come in ready for another dogfight. Guys, we have to come in with the mentality for every week, and they're just going to have to be ready to play a probably another hard-nosed ball game because these guys are going to come ready to play to try to knock off Kennesaw State once again. Yeah, I think I I think uh, I said this on the broadcast, but I think I've called a Gardner Webb the most predictable anomaly in the Big South, and I, I think that's exactly what they are. And again, Barkley said it as well as well as Brandon, they can put up points when they want to, and it, it it's hard to predict when that game is going to be. So they play Lincoln, PA, uh, you know, a team that doesn't even have a logo on Google back on the 18th, and they score 56 points, and then they play WCU and they score 52. But then they have games like, I guess, Monmouth, where they're only, only able to score 17. And you go back and look at these other games, and you're like, oh, well, what's the, what's the competition here? WCU, look it up, one of the worst defenses in the entire nation. But once again, you still see the ability, the air rate offense, the ability to put the ball in the air. That's something that I don't think a lot of other Big South teams possess. And I think that's what could possibly give Kennesaw State trouble, just like you guys said, if they come in and they're, and they're sleepwalking. And something I think KSU will have to keep an eye on as they have preached the past few weeks. And we saw, Epark, you noted, the, the turnover margin got better. KSU won the turnover margin against Campbell, the nation's leader in turnovers gained and turnover margin with a couple of picks compared to that one fumble. But Gardner-Webb against Robert Morris jumped out to a 21-0 lead. Now, the final score, not indicative of how that game was stretched out early on, but... One was a defensive touchdown set up by French, the defensive lineman who we said earned National Player of the Week honors defensively. And the second was a short field early in the second quarter was a two-play 22-yard drive. That, that, that's something that in this game, Kennesaw State cannot afford to give Gardner-Webb early momentum, a short field, couple of turnovers, anything like that, and then play a little come from behind and give the running Bulldogs some momentum. I think from a former player's perspective, Sutton, I'll let you hit on this first, the ability for KSU to come out fast and put this team away, I think would serve the Owls very well in this matchup specifically. I think you're 100% correct, man, because coming out and being able to put a team away early is the best thing because these guys are going to be coming out and do everything they can to just win the game. So KSU, if they want to be able to just keep things on track, coming out from the first drive and being able to just put points on the board, being able to do everything they can, stay in control the entire game. Don't, they don't have to worry about the momentum battle until 
the first points are on the board. So coming into Saturday, that's that needs to be their number one mindset. One, no more turnovers, no more fumbles, and two, controlling the ball, keeping the offense in pace, in motion, keeping things going. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Brandon. And a lot of times this Kennesaw offense, quote unquote, starting slow, but really it's just these methodical drives that are fine, taking plenty of time off the clock, but then they end in a turnover. So that's what makes it feel like this Kennesaw State offense is starting slow, even though they're really not. And traditionally with the spread option offense, it, whenever you, you, you end up scoring more points at the end of the game anyway, because you're just wearing out the defense of the defensive line. So I agree with Nolan, a fast start, putting them away early, just letting them lay down, getting some backups in would be great. But that all starts with the turnover battle. They, they don't need to turn the ball over, especially in the red zone where we've had a few turnovers already this year. And that just eats me up as a football fan. Brandon too. That's where you just can't turn the ball over. If you turn it over at your own 20, like, yeah, that, that's bad and all. But, man, whenever you're knocking on the door, about to put points on the board, it just changes so much. And the momentum shift is crazy as well. So, I, I think, personally, if they are able to hold on to the ball and keep Gardner-Webb from taking advantage of some turnovers, then those slow methodical drives going to halftime up 21-zip, maybe 21-7, makes you feel really good about it. And then the second half, let that triple that, that spread option offense run. Now, I will say, going back to the turnover, uh, obviously, Coach Bo especially, along with everyone else, have been critical of the turnover. It's the thing that Kennesaw State needs to button up, especially going into the playoffs. This game was a little bit different to me because it was just the one turnover. And typically what we've seen is just bad fumbles. Listen, the way Shep got hit, Jerome Bettis would have fumbled that. And now, and now you can say, okay, let's button up, you know, the guard player or the offensive line. I didn't exactly see what, what broke down there, but there was not a whole lot he could have done about that. And to me, that, that turnover was, I would never say lucky. That's not the word I'm looking for, but it was just uh, something that's not going to happen again. And I, I don't think uh, Shep's going to, let's hope he doesn't take another hit like that one. I'll say. Here's a little insider for you, JG on Monday, they're going to do a little drill called bumble stump. And, uh, it's, it's, let's just say it's not enjoyable. <laughs> so I, I promise you, Shep will hold on to the ball this week real nice and tight. Hey, we managed to put Bryce on fumble stumble after uh, halftime of the A&T game. Hey, hey, he's got to pay the dues, right? <laughs> okay, up next here on Inside the Nest, we'll be joined by defensive lineman Desmond Scott, who's been a strong force up the middle for the Owls this year. Jordan Griffith will have the Big South Blitz. And then we'll go to our fun scoreboard segment. But before we get there, I got a question to post to you guys. As we joked about on air, the Owls got their sixth win. They're bowl eligible, right? So in an alternate universe where Kennesaw State is really bowl eligible, uh, what bowl would you love for the Owls to go to that isn't a New Year's Six? Like you can't name the Rose Bowl, Peach Bowl, anything like that. But what's a, a mid to low tier bowl you would love for the Owls to go to? And we'll start with you, Jordan. No, I thought you come back to me. I, I want to look some up and I want to find I got one. Good. Jordan's going to make the Kansas Bowl when we come back. The, I think the Liberty Bowl would be really cool for Kennesaw to go to. A traditional bowl, see a lot of big names go in. And, I mean, feel like every time an SEC team is having a down year, like in LSU, Alabama, Auburn, somebody like that, they always end up in the Liberty Bowl. So it would be cool to play somebody like that because they have a lot of big names. And traditional, and three, it's in Philadelphia. So it would be really cool to go there. And another point to that one as well. Um Typically, if you don't see a big name like an SEC school, 
Army and Navy usually get that bid if they are bowl eligible and want to go to it and don't end up with a bigger bowl bid. So a little homecoming meeting with either Coach Worley of Army or the whole defensive staff and Coach Newberry at Navy would be fun too. So I was going through trying to find the best one, but you know what? I'm just going to go with the Beefo Brady Bowl because I think that one's the funniest bowl game of all of them. And I think it would be hilarious just to see that. Yeah, I, I actually found mine. I actually knew what I was looking for because I knew where it was played, but I couldn't I couldn't think of the name. The famous Idaho Potato Bowl played in Boise every year. That's the one for sure. I'm going to go a little further west. The Hawaii Bowl, guys. Come on. Let's go uh, yeah. to Hawaii. I mean, but the blue field, like, come on. That would be, be kind of dope. That'd be cool. Maybe uh, in an alternate universe, the Owls get a, a bowl bid this year after winning the national championship. And effective for the 2022 season. We'll see what happens. Anyway, coming up next, we'll be joined by Desmond Scott. I won't ask him his favorite uh, or what bowl game he'd like to go to because it better be the national championship bowl in Frisco in early January this year. We'll speak to Desmond Scott. Jordan Griffith will have the Big South Blitz, and we'll come right back with our scoreboard segment here on Inside the Nest. At Fifth Third Bank, we hold ourselves to a higher standard. Just look at our name, Fifth Third. Five-thirds equals 166.7%. So, according to the laws of mathematics, we are obligated to put 166.7% into everything we do. From our great customer service, to our security solutions, to providing you access to over 45,000 fee-free ATMs nationwide. This is banking a fifth-third better. Learn more at 53.com. Fifth Third Bank, member FDIC. We are joined by defensive lineman Desmond Scott as Kennesaw State gets set to take on Gardner-Webb this Saturday at 1 p.m. And Desmond, you've made big plays this season. You've made an impact as well, uh, not just blocking field goals, but really clogging up that middle of the defensive line, allowing linebackers and guys from the secondary to make a ton of tackles. But I want to start out with those field goals. And you had one blocked against Campbell that was returned for a touchdown. What all goes in? to your vantage point of blocking a kick? Um, really, uh, throughout the game, I try to time up the snap count, and I just use that to my advantage. So uh, Saturday, um, I was watching the the uh, snap, the holder. I was watching the holder um, give the tap or would give the cadence to the, to the snapper, and I just timed it up, and that's what had happened. Do you solely focus on that Saturday, or is there other stuff that goes in watching film leading up to the game? Uh, yes, there goes to, you know, watching film. Um, I try to find a weakness uh, between the guards and the center. Uh, on field goal, you can't line up on the center, so I just try to find the weakness between the two guards. And um, it, that goes off based off the film and um, just, you know, time up the step again. Uh, that's it. I just usually do. <laughs> and for you, when do you know to get your hands up? Do you, do you count your steps and do it, or is it like a natural feel that, okay, I, I feel like the timing's right now, i got to get a paw up in the air? Yes, sir. Uh, I feel like that's what it is. It's just it's, You just have to time it up. You just When you know you're in the backfield, you just hope and pray that he ain't kicked the ball by now. And so I just get my hands up in time. How good does it feel when – that ball goes smack dab off your hand and you know you just caused a big play. It feels great. 
because you know you just caused the play. You know you just changed the momentum of the game. So you know you just had an impact. So you just it just makes you feel great. How quickly do you think Jacory ran after he picked up the football? Because I up in the booth, it seems like he was running a four flat once he grabbed that thing. <laughs> Yeah, I gave. I, I told him. I said, I guess you ran four three because uh, he sure loved me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, Desmond, it was your it was your second blocked field goal of the season. You did against Jacksonville State, and while your defensive statistics aren't atop the leaderboard for Kennesaw State, your impact, along with your fellow defensive linemen, Travis Bell, Tyler Moore, Jahan Myers, Carrick Reese, you know that that whole group. I think has contributed to the success of the defense immensely this year. Do you take pride in knowing that I can have a, a big impact in the game, but my name may not get called out on every play? Yes, sir. Um, and we all feel the same way that we, we know that we may not get, you know, all the stats and, you know, uh, everybody that sees us, you know, make plays, but, we take pride in that we're we're the backbone of the defense, and we go to work and go to practice every day with that mindset that you know it starts with us. And, you know we're the foundation, so that's how that's how we have that mindset. How else do you challenge each other as interior defensive linemen to succeed in this defense? And we just hold each other accountable. You know, uh, if we see one of it, one of each other slacking. Uh, we just pick each other up and, you know, just move on. And we just tell each other, let's go, man, because we know what we have to do. And we know that, like I said, we're the backbone of defense. So we just have to come and perform and be ready to work every single day. Well, it's back-to-back games. The defense has pitched a shutout. Campbell scored a touchdown on a scoop and score when Kennesaw State was on offense. Do you feel like this defense is gaining more and more momentum each week? And if so – does that carry over to the next game? Yes, sir. Um, you know, the, like you said, the past two weeks we had shutouts. So, of course, it's going to carry momentum. And um, we went out to practice yesterday and we just, you know, Coach V gave us donuts. So every shutout we get donuts. So with him giving us donuts, it just just make us want to work more and just try to get more donuts every Monday. Because, uh, you know, we love getting shutouts. So, yes, sir, this these – Past two games of having shutouts is going to carry momentum for the rest of the season. Yes, sir. And what's your favorite flavor of donut? Uh, Krispy Kreme glazed donuts. I like to keep it uh, original. <laughs> All right. Hot and ready, just like that KSU defense. Yes, sir. <laughs> so the opponent this week is Gardner-Webb. Uh, the running Bulldogs bring talent in a lot of different positions out there. Uh, what's your take and what you've seen of Gardner-Webb on film? Um, they have some they have some good running backs. Um, they like to stretch the ball a lot. Um, the O line is pretty good. You know, they're pretty big, but I feel like if we come ready to play, that we'll be ready for them. Well, one way that you have absolutely come ready to play is your get off. I think going back to that field goal block, you could not have timed the snap any better. And in speaking with your position coach Liam Klein the other day. He said you've got the best get-off of anyone that he's coached in his two decades plus. What goes into a good get-off besides just timing the snap? I mean, there's a lot more to it, isn't there? Yes, sir. Um, it really starts in the offseason. Uh, ball get-offs, you know, I, I can't get enough of that. You know, I practice that a lot. Um, even during the season, 
I tried to challenge my other teammates, you know, to race me in a get off. And I'm going to shout out another guy I love to work out with in the offseason, Joel Parker. You know, I like to work out with guys faster than me. So Joel's faster than me. So when we try to race each other off the ball, you know, I just try to stick with him or, you know, be next to him. So uh, that's what I do um, as far as, you know, preparing for a get off. And um, yeah, it's a, no, that's it. <laughs> Who who else is involved in these races besides you and Joel? Okay, uh, I have a list. Uh, I love to go up against Travis Bell, Tyler Moore, Tyler Scott, uh, Cam Donald, oh, and Carlos Allen. Carlos Allen, yeah, we love to talk smack every time we race each other <laughs> um, in practice. So, yes, sir. I love racing with guys because it's competitive. Well, the Competition breeds success, and, and that's been the story of the Kennesaw State defense this year. And looking at that defensive front, there's a lot of guys from your home state of Alabama, and you mentioned some on the defensive line. And, of course, you got the linebacking unit. Chance Bates had an interception uh, in the game against Campbell. And really that front four, it seems like at times at least two out of the four are from the state of Alabama, sometimes three, sometimes four, depending on the rotation. Oh, is, is there some sort of camaraderie and, and understanding amongst the, all the Alabama guys, not just defense, but on offense, too, of maybe a little sense of pride of representing your state and doing so well? Yes, sir. And we, we get on to each other every time. You know, we represent our state back home. And, um, yes, sir, we just carry a sense of pride. And I, I carry a sense of pride that, that um, if I do good, that, you know, guys back home may have a chance, you know, to be where I am today. So that's why I just try to you know, care since the pride of, you know, doing good and representing my state. Let's talk about back home for you. When you came to Kennesaw State, uh, who all contributed to your success back home as far as friends, family, coaches, and teammates to be able to get you where you are today? Um, I'm going to start with my main man, Pops. Um, my dad, you know, he helped me out. Um, whenever a coach had hit me up, I first went to him. And, you know, I asked him, what did he think about, you know, this certain school and, you know, different situations. And I asked him about Kennesaw, and he was like, you know, they beat Jacksonville State. They beat a couple teams in Alabama. And um, why not check them out? And I took it to Coach Nix, um, my high school coach back then. And he told me about Kennesaw, how good they were and, you know, things that I may like. And I also had wanted to go to school in Georgia, here in Georgia. So that was a big um, thing to me that I had wanted. So shout out to the, those two people and also my mom because my mom fell in love with Kennesaw when we first came up here. So my mom just was all up in my ear. This is this and um, this is great school. Uh, man, it's just so much he was telling me about and we did our research and we just I feel like I made a great great choice. That's the winning ticket, right? If mom's bought in on a school. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Every time. Over your years here, Desmond, how do you think you've grown, not on the field, but off the field as a member of this program and going to KSU? Um, off the field, I can say that it, I have grown in plenty of ways. Um, first, I'm just say just basics, like being being somewhere on time. Uh, you know, Coach Bo makes a huge emphasis of being somewhere on time because, you know, when you get in the real world, if you show the work late every day you know they're gonna fire you so I just growing in that aspect and you know just learning how to be a man on my own um 
that's that's huge. You know how to carry myself. You know you have people watching at all times, so you have to represent yourself well at all times. Absolutely, that's a, that's a great thing to learn as a college student. You and I spoke before this interview, and, and you said how excited you were to get into the Braves. They're in the World Series. When did you kind of get into the Braves this season, and <laughs> what all was the hype like uh, on the team when the when watching the Braves win the NLCS coming back from Campbell? Okay, so after the Campbell game, um, we was first watching Alabama and Tennessee, and then they was like, hey, the Braves are on, so – Okay, I was like, all right. You know, I'm a huge college football. I'm not big on baseball, but I'll watch it, though. But um, we watched the game. Man, every time that Braves hit the ball or hit a home run, man, the bus would go crazy. And the guys would get loud. And so if the guys would get loud and go crazy and have great energy on the bus, I could just imagine the atmosphere at the game. So I love to, you know, check it out. Um, I heard the games are all this week or – Majority of the games are here in Atlanta, so I would want to check it out sometime this week. If you could go out and play an inning of baseball, what position would you want to be on <laughs> defense? And what do you think you would do on offense? What type of hitter would you be? Uh, no, but I don't really know about too much about baseball, but uh, I guess I want to be the hitter that make all the home runs, and then I want to be a pitcher, a 90-mile-an-hour pitcher, left-hander. Okay, Otani, <laughs> hit home runs and strike guys out. Okay, yes, I'll sir. go for it, Desmond. <laughs> well, uh, uh, last question here, not really a question, but just an open mic, Desmond. Is there anyone that you'd like to give a shout-out, whether it's one of your, your teammates, friends, family, coaches, fans, anything of the like? Um, First, I want to shout-out um, mom, dad. Grandma, uh, my brother, you know, they showed out. I mean, they come out to every game. And uh, I just want to say thank you all for the support. And just thank, thanks to my coaches and everybody that's supporting me along this way. Well, Desmond, thank you for the time and best of luck against Gardner Webb Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you, Nolan. Today tastes like movie night. Okay, whose turn is it to choose? And everyone's favorite hit pizza and Coke. Today tastes like front row seats for all. Like cushions and popcorn. And counting the seconds. Today tastes like a slice of the action. Like we belong here and now. And it never tasted this good. Coca-Cola. Together tastes better. Welcome into another episode of the Big South Blitz. I'm Jordan Griffith. We will get you to your standings and some news around the Big South Football Conference this week. Don't want to get too philosophical, but was it Socrates that said, I know one thing, that I know nothing. And that's exactly how I feel and a lot of fans feel about the Big South this year. Let's stick around to find out just why I think that. Let's start off with what I like to believe is probably the most predictable outcome of the weekend outside of Kennesaw State's 30-7 win over Campbell, and that is Gardner-Webb advancing to 3-4 and four on the year with a 28-17 win over Robert Morris. The running Bulldogs will come to Kennesaw State next weekend. And once again, this is a team I've talked about throughout the year that has a very potent offense, but sometimes it doesn't show up. It showed up against Robert Morris. 
The Bulldogs were able to score 28 points on Saturday, 262 total yards compared to only 207 for Robert Morris, but the stat that certainly stands out, 99 rushing yards for Gardner-Webb, something that they do a lot. They usually rush around the 100-yard mark every single game, but they held Robert Morris to five rushing yards throughout the entire game. Also, Robert Morris dominated in time and possession, 35 minutes, Gardner-Webb with only 24 minutes, but yet... Gardner-Webb was able to make more of their opportunities, and they get another win over a Big South opponent. And if you want to talk offense, let's move to the other game that I don't want to say necessarily surprised me, but surprised me by the lopsided score, and that is North Alabama versus Charleston Southern. North Alabama rolls Charleston Southern 45-22. to One of the strangest quarter-by-quarter box scores you'll ever see. North Alabama, 14-0 in the first quarter. Scoreless for both teams in the second quarter, 3-0 North Alabama in the third quarter, and then going into the fourth, North Alabama scores 28 points, and Charleston Southern scores all 22 of their points within the fourth quarter. So some garbage time touchdowns for Charleston Southern. They racked up 481 total yards. That's 246 through the air, 235 on the ground, but it didn't matter because UNA brought their A game, and UNA, a much better team than their record might show you. They have two wins now on the season, and Charleston Southern looking like maybe at the bottom of the Big South Conference this year. Now, we've reached the point in the podcast where the confusion ensues, and that is the Hampton NCANT game. Coming off the NCANT home game for Kennesaw State last week, I think everyone was impressed by the Aggies, but then they lay an egg against Hampton, not literally because they scored nine points, but Hampton scored 30. The Pirates took control of this game early on and never let go. Uh, Again, this is a a baffling result. NCANT looked like one of the better teams in the Big South. Hampton, not as much. And now Hampton and NCANT have the exact same record. There's a few oddities to look at within this game. And I think one of the reasons that the NCANT offense is not working very well right now is the offensive line play because Jalen Fowler, the quarterback for the Aggies, was sacked five times in that game, threw two interceptions, one touchdown, did have 234 yards in the air, but also threw the ball 25 times. And that's usually not the recipe for success for this NCANT team. And looking at the other side, Hampton, Jet Duffy, it was his day. 285 yards through the air, 17 of 28, two touchdowns, and only sacked once, and also rushed for 51 yards. So he was able to get the ground game going as well as the air raid, and they got the running game going as well as they tallied 175 total yards on the ground. So Hampton, they bumped up the offense, and their defense was playing mighty well, again, only allowing nine points to the Aggies. And in North Carolina a t looking for some offensive fixes if they want to continue playing within the Big South and competing come November. With not a lot of surprising FCS scores, I think I'm going to keep it within the Big South this week. And let's give you some final standings after week five within the Big South. Kennesaw State and Monmouth tied at number one, 3-0 and apiece. That's going to be a big, big final regular season game for both teams. Campbell, North Carolina A&T sitting at 2-2. Two and two. Both those teams tied for second right now. And both those teams gave Kennesaw State at least a little bit of a game within the first half. And again, both teams falling eventually, but... Now we're going to see if A&T can bounce back as well as Campbell. Gardner-Webb, Hampton, Robert Morris, and North Alabama all tied at 1-2, and two, so technically tied for third place right now. And I, I actually have to say, I think North Alabama, maybe even Gardner-Webb, might be the best of that bunch right there. 
Again, this is a very tight division in terms of kind of the middle of the pack and the bottom half. A lot of these teams are not separated by very much. Again, three teams, four teams rather, tied with third place here in the Big South. And then at the bottom, you have Charleston Southern at one and three. They just have the most losses within the conference. A team that's looking for some answers right now. We'll see if Charleston Southern can get back to the normal ways. And that is it for the Big South Blitz. I'm Jordan Griffith. Thank you so much for listening. Once again, a crazy week within the Big South. Let's stay tuned next week. Some big games, some big conference standings that are going to arise. I'm Jordan Griffith here at the Big South Blitz. Welcome back into Inside the Nest. Remember, this Saturday, 1 o'clock, Kennesaw State and Gardner-Webb in our Hall of Fame weekend. We have a great promotion on our Click or Treat. Click or Treat, ksuhouse.com slash tickets. Enter promo code HALLOWEEN for $10.30 tickets. Boy, if I could get $10.30 tickets to the World Series this weekend using that promo code, I'd be a happy man, guys. So, fun, actually, fun story about that from a lady I work with. Um, her son, she told him, if the Braves go to the World Series, maybe we could get tickets, right? So he went online, started looking at tickets on StubHub, but her account was still signed in. So game six, and they're watching the game, and he's sitting there on the computer. He's like, they're going to win. They're going to win. He hits purchase on two tickets for game four. Uh, yeah, game four of the World Series in Atlanta. Because on the thing, it said they were like $400. But then she gets a call from her bank saying, hey, we just wanted to confirm there's a $3,800 payment on your card from StubHub. So apparently the fees were about $1,300 plus the tickets. And now she's trying to dispute the payment, but it's already been confirmed. So, Well, if she doesn't want to go, I'll go. StubHub would be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> that is insane. I, I'll put this out. I actually had... I'll put this out there. I actually had some issues trying to get tickets on the day of our recording on Monday. It didn't make me happy with Ticketmaster. We thought we were set multiple times. We got this uh, junk message about wrong device or whatever. So I'm not happy with Ticketmaster. I'm still looking for tickets. Hit me up in Alexa 29 at Kennesaw.edu. You got some tickets. Don't try to uh, scheme me on them, but I'm looking for some tickets for Saturday night after the Owls beat the running Bulldogs. And see the Braves win the World Series. Are, are there okay, guys scalpers out there anymore? Yeah. People who stand outside, tickets, get your tickets. Does that even happen anymore? <laughs> but they're fake. You 100%. have to be a certain distance away from the stadium. But I can only imagine who would fall for scalping tickets to the World Series, especially a game of this magnitude. And are the tickets all digital this year? I mean, I've been to a Braves game and it was sent to me digitally. So I'm sure they're still digital this year. Yeah, even I when think, you just go think, to the gate. Boy, out of all the things COVID ruined, ticket scalpers took a big hit with everything on digital. The dying industry now. This guy's just holding his cell phone on the edge. Two tickets. Anyway, okay, let's get to Would You Rather. Jordan, lead us off, my friend. All right. Would you rather be a genius that everyone thinks is an idiot or be an idiot, excuse me, that everyone thinks is a genius? Well, I'm going to go ahead and start this one off because I feel like I'm already an idiot that everyone thinks is a genius. So go on with that one. I guess I'd rather be a genius that everyone thinks is an idiot because you get the last laugh at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I'm, I agree with that because also, I mean, how idiotic are you if you're a genius and you're just making all kinds of money and they're all, yeah, dudes making terrible moves. Like, 
people say that geniuses are idiots all the time just because they don't agree with their point or what they're saying. So I agree. I think I got to go with that one. No, I'm listen, guys. I'm all about I'm all about the the appearances here. I got to look good in the public eye. Um, I'll be an idiot. That's fine with me. I'm I'm okay with that look. All right, split decision. Factor fiction time. Who's got it this week, guys? Is it Barkley? It's Barkley. He's raising his hand. Okay. So, Jordan Brandon, remember, you have to pay special attention to the salesman here and how he presents this factor fiction. Okay. What's the uh, What's the scoreboard here before we start? We're all tied at deuces. No, you're not tied with Nolan. Everyone. Nolan's got. Wait, I thought Nolan has three. Yeah, I've got Nolan does three. Have three. And then, if no one has three, then it's three, and everybody else is tied at two. Okay, that sounds that sounds about right. I won't argue that. No. <laughs> All right, fact or fiction? My first one: the average lifespan of an MLB baseball is five to seven pitches, and that's one of them. And the other one is Australia is the only state that is also a country. I'm sorry, no, I read that wrong. Australia is the that only one's fiction state. <laughs> It's the only state that is also a continent. I say continent, not country. Wait, you mean country that's also a continent? No, state that's also a continent. Yeah, that's fiction, dude. That's fiction. Australia's not a state. That's fiction. I mean, (laughs) it makes a good point. Uh, Yeah. I'm also now I'm going to I'm going to look at the other side of it. I I do. I'm going to go with that one as well. I, I think that the Australian one is fiction. Um. But once again, I mean, you, you, you just watch baseball. I mean, how many times do, does it get scuffed up off a curveball in the dirt and they just give you another one, they throw it right back? That happens about every five to seven pitches. So I think that one's true. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's, that's it. It's uh, baseball <laughs> in the last five to seven pitches. It's really – and I read it wrong. It's on my – Australia is the only continent that is also a country, not a state. I was trying to get you all with the state because they have states in Australia. Now, now, I will throw out the idea of maybe do you want to redo it? Do you want to? I mean, it? yeah, I can definitely find another one. I'm just, I'm just saying, listen, for the fans out there, this is going to be a very disappointing week. Oh. Okay. Here, right, here, we, go. here we go. I, I can redo here it. Here we go. Hey, I'm, I'm going to add something to this, okay? Exactly. Okay. Double or nothing here. We get extra points. We get this right. We get two points or we get nothing. All right. Oh, I like it. Wow. Inside the nest just got heated. All right. So y'all want to do something funny while Barkley looks this up is I saw something on Twitter, so I cannot verify the truth in this, but it was all the amendments that never actually passed in the United States. And one from, I'm going to ballpark and say it was like in the 1930s was to, instead of calling us the United States of America, it was called the United States of earth. So if we were called the United States of Earth, that that last one may, may have had me questioned a little bit. <sighs> Interesting. Again, I can't I can't verify if that's true or not. I saw it on Twitter. All righty, I got it. And this one ties into my original one, so it's pretty good. So number one, the home team must provide the referee with thirty six footballs for each NFL football league game, then being retired immediately after the game, or the two golf balls that were hit on the moon, one landing in a crater and one going, quote, unquote, several miles before landing 
are still on the moon. Okay, be clear. Do we do we have the option to play or not? Wait, who's, yeah, who's, who's the, who's the uh, factor fiction commissioner here? I think it's Nolan. I feel like it's got to be. So d- double or nothing. Does that does that warrant the choice of whether I play or not? Yeah. yeah. So initially, I would have said you had the option not to play. However, you're the one that suggested to redo. <laughs> so for entertainment purposes, we all have to play. Aha! I like it. Okay. You're in. You, you created a hole, Jordan. You got to crawl out of it. I would say I created a crater. Hey. Mm. Okay. Well, then I, I want to. I want someone else to go first. I need to. I need to thank here. Repeat it again, please, Barkley. It's been a minute. Okay. Oh, let me go find. All right. So, the home team must provide the referee with thirty-six footballs for each National League football game. But those footballs are then retired after the game. So, I mean, that's a lot of football. That's kind of crazy. And then the second one was the two golf balls that were hit on the moon with a makeshift six iron, making it the first sport ever played like that. That ties into my first one that I did. Are both still on the moon, one of them landing in a crater, and the second one not to be found because it was struck so well it went, quote, unquote, many, many miles. I really want to say the first one's fiction because I feel like you're going to play with the word retired because those balls may be used in practice. So they're not truly like retired. However, how can we know if that second ball is still on the moon if it was hit many, many miles and not found? That thing could be in orbit, could have fell back to Earth, could have went off and hit a comet. So we don't know for sure if it's on the moon. That would make the most sense, right? So I'm going to say that one's fake and the football one's real. Oh, I'm going to agree with Nolan because for some reason, I just think 36 is too many. And I, and I don't know if this is correct, but I think I remember something from Sunday Night Football last night. Where the guy said both teams provided 24 balls. So, so wait, you're, going, you're going to the other side then. Yeah, that's the other no, one. No one went with the football one. Yeah, because he said that one of the balls could easily either gone into orbit or – yeah, I mean, they could have – they know one was in a crater, so why not pick it up and bring it back home? Yeah, so I, so I said the moon one was was fake. Yeah. And the, and the football one was true. But Yeah, I'm going to – Yeah, I'm, I'm with what? you, though, Sut. I wish I would have gone with this one for my first one. This is a good one. <laughs> this is a challenging one. But you know what? I'm going to say the moon one is real. Yep, it's going to be the one one odd guy out. So when you repeated the question, yeah, this could be just in my head that I made this up. That I'm pretty sure the first time you said the football one, it was 36. And the second mm-hmm. time you did, you said 35. So I think, uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, that's what I heard in my head. It could be, it could be false. Then you added a lot of detail to the well, second. And I, I'm, I'm going to make an excuse for that. It had a lot that I took out the first time because it had to do with, it being the first sport played on the moon, which I already did. This is really tough. Yeah. And we and we knew how terrible that first question was, too. <laughs> yeah, the first one was bad. Now, I am going – oh, gosh. I'm going to go with the – man, the, I don't even want to say it. I'm like, I'm so nervous. I want to get this one right because if I go with the moon one and it's wrong, Nolan pulls two, two questions ahead of everybody. Yeah, he does. I mean, he locks it up at that point. Man, but I'm gonna go with my gut, and I'm going to say, 
<laughs> oh man, the moon. I'm going with it. Locked in. That's my final answer. It's what? Okay. Well, is is true. Brandon and Jordan, y'all are right. Those are staying there. No one, it's impossible to hit a ball out of orbit from the moon. It, the orbit of the moon is like pretty significant. It's not just like nothing. And but they don't know where it went. But they are reused because they say that a lot of them t- get turned into K balls afterwards. So, Nolan, your initial thought of that question was right, but you mm-hmm. went against it. You did. You went against your gut, man. But they don't know that it's still there. <laughs> hey, did it? Hold, hold, hold up, hold it. Didn't we just declassify all this UFO alien stuff recently? I mean, how about, how about little Minnie Martian goes up there, picks picks up a golf ball? We don't know that. Hey, I mean, how, how, how about the the two times that Barclays had a question? There's been some controversy. Coincidence? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> controversy. <laughs> if controversy. only Barclay had read the first part correct, yeah. he wouldn't be in this situation. But congratulations, I, Brandon I and Jordan. You get you get double the points, and I have another asterisk on a Barkley question that still <laughs> you can't verify it. Another asterisk. Hey, Bark Barkley yeah. has as many asterisks as he does points. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Barkley, you are hey, you asterisk. That, that second one was pretty good. Thirty six footballs. That's a lot. I'm pretty sure you said thirty five the first time too. I'm positive I said thirty six. I'll throw 36 footballs at you in the booth on Saturday, Barkley. <laughs> and I wasn't lying. I really did cut out a lot of the second one because it was like, you know, the astronaut's name, first uh, sport. I mean, yeah, first sport played on the moon, makeshift six iron. I was like, I'm not going to go through all that again. Listen, but, yeah, they're the, both laying there. The, the book is out on Barkley when he asked the question. If it has the moon in it, it's true. Book's out. I mean, the scouting report's out there. Watch the tape. Got to do your homework. Get every question right going forward. Ooh, this would have been a good one. Did y'all know that because they lost so many players to World War II military service, the Pittsburgh Steelers and Philadelphia Eagles combined to become the Steagles during the 1944 yes. season? Yes, you should have read that one. I would have gotten that one right, Barkley. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> no one's upset now. Oh, man. No, yeah. bro, you know how hard you would have to, like, hit something to, like, make it leave orbit? I know they say that, like, Oh my God, he hit that ball so far it left orbit. But like the moon. I don't know, dude. Orbit. I haven't been on the moon. I haven't studied physics since high school. So I guess I did a college. I don't remember it. Just for everyone listening, you went to Georgia Tech, man. I thought physics is just like a, a, pre, a prereq for y'all. Yeah, dude. I graduated seven years ago. I took physics probably 10 years ago. Well, for everyone listening, um, the orbit and the everything on the moon is not as like extreme as you think. Yeah. You see the astronauts like bounding and, but the atmosphere there is actually like pretty decent. Like it's not like you can just take some throw it and it's just going to launch into space and keep going. Um, it's just a lot less dense than it is here on earth. Okay. Hot take guys. Barkley's an alien. Very plausible. Very plausible. Have you ever seen Barkley an alien in the same place at the same time? Nope. Nope. No, you haven't. Brittany may want to do some investigative reporting on uh, Barkley Miller here. Okay. If you're listening in. Okay, guys. Uh, despite <laughs> despite typical shenanigans from Mr. Miller at the end, uh, another fun episode of Inside the Nest, Saturday, 1 o'clock. Uh, we'll have the broadcast on ESPN Plus and the KSU Owls app. So you can 
listen or watch is the Alice take on the running Bulldogs Saturday at one recommended for a fun Saturday. Come to the game and then either go to a Braves game or watch the Braves for the World Series Saturday night. So until next time, see you on Saturday. For Brandon Sutton, Jordan Griffith, and Barker Miller, I'm Nolan Alexander saying go out.